As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And here we are all together the morning after the night before. That was far more like it for Manchester United. And we'll be talking about every aspect of that win over Chelsea. Looking ahead to Bournemouth and also talking about Andy Mitten's exclusive with the Manchester United manager, Eric Ten Hag, in there too. Andy's here, Laurie's here, Carl's here, everyone's smiling. It's a good morning, Carl, isn't it? It is a good morning. Manchester United won... They're up to sixth and uh, we can all breathe a bit easier, can't we? Yeah, three points off the top four, Laurie. Three points behind Manchester City. What crisis? That is what Eric Tenag said last night. Um, he made a big call, didn't he, dropping Marcus Rashford. But whenever he kind of makes a decision that you know, makes you step back a little bit, um, he usually gets a result. You know, it reminded me of that Liverpool game last season when you know his back was against the wall and he dropped Ronaldo and then they got that kind of energised performance under the floodlights. Similar kind of feel to that. Um, and Andy made some big changes as well. We saw him just before half time, me and Carl coming up the steps. I don't know what he was carrying in his hands, but it wasn't Maltesers. So, what was, what was the fuel, Andy, that made United turn in that performance? Yeah, I can't believe you've spotted this. Cheese. Cheese? Cheese, Cheese in your hands. Cheese. In the stadium. Right. I can't even believe you put it right. I thought like it's just, just the way you were crazy, like it? So protectively. Right. I got in the ground late because I had to help the lads sell the magazine. And I got in really late, so I only had time to grab a coffee and something that I could carry up to my seat, but I was starving. I'd not eaten since lunchtime, so I couldn't put food onto a plate, so I just grabbed... Look at your face here. You're horrified with me. I just grabbed two big pieces of cheese and, and walked up to my seat and had cheese and coffee, and I know that sounds awful, but... Well, that, well, that's what happened. You, you're such a cultured man, Andy. You've been to most countries in the world that people have never even heard of, and somehow you're eating coffee and cheese watching football. I can't, <laughs> can't believe he's clocked me eating cheese <laughs> or bringing cheese. It's up. just a night for big changes, Andy. I'm impressed. I think you need to do this right, every week. I love now. cheese, Ed, because uh, it was the most enjoyable game of the season at Old Trafford for me last night. I thought it was fantastic. It was a top game of football for a neutral. I was nervous right until the last minute because we know what Manchester United are like. And I can see you nodding your heads here. You, you, you're winning. Manchester United deserve to be winning. 
creating loads of chances, but the vast majority of the players played really well. But there was still jeopardy, even in those individual performances, you know. Andrea Nana did well, but there was moments where you're thinking, whoa. But three points, closing right in on City. And if United beat Bournemouth 19-0 at the weekend and City lose again, United will go above City in the table. It's one way to turn around the goal difference, isn't it, to be fair? Um <laughs> He really needed that Eric Ten Hag as well, Carl, didn't he? It was a week where journalists had been even banned from his press conference, but it was a week where they certainly needed a response to what Scott McTominay described as an abysmal performance at Newcastle. Yeah, Manchester United always generate melodrama in a way other football clubs do not. Um, you know, I was looking at the league table at full time going, hang on, three points off City? Hang on, City of haven't won a Premier League game in four. Where's their crisis talk? I'm, I'm woken up this morning uh, and I'm seeing loads of articles saying, yeah, so you haven't won four games, but they're still the favourites to win the Premier League. And oh, it must be nice to <laughs> have that sort of confidence in a way that Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag haven't had this season. So it's good that we can talk about the football. We can talk about the things that Eric Ten Hag got right today. Well, the things that Eric Tenel got right against Chelsea, and um, hopefully the things that will set Manchester United up to, to enter those Champions League places in the weeks to come. Yeah, I was at City last night at Villa Park. I wasn't at Old Trafford, unfortunately. You three were, which is a good job, so you can talk everyone through what you <laughs> saw and what you witnessed. City were really bad, but this isn't the City podcast, so we won't dwell on that. Um, in terms of Ten Hag, no, let's, let, 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 let's dwell on it. They were all merchants. That's what I've heard. I've heard this all about Rodri. Mm. But mm. Well, they didn't have a shot after the eleventh minute against Villa. I mean, it's the lowest. Villa are good though, aren't they? Andy Villa were absolutely brilliant. We've got them coming up on Boxing Day as well, haven't we? It's at Old Trafford. Their away form's not quite as good as the home form, but they they looked very very good last night. And it was the lowest amount of shots that a Pep Guardiola team had ever had in a league game in his management career. So that gives you an idea of how bad City were. Anyway, that's enough dwelling on the other <laughs> half of Manchester. Eric Ten Hag was sort of defending his the, the Newcastle thing and his team and his squad and telling everyone, Laurie, that it's a good dressing room and, and everything else. It was a night for sort of trying to set the record straight a little bit in performance and message from the manager. Yeah, 100%. I think he has to say that, doesn't he? Because the stories that emanated after the Newcastle performance and, and you know, to be honest, how we were looking at that, um, the standard, that the running that was done by the players, it was a really, really concerning performance, you know, beyond just that 90 minutes. So the stories that emanated and that is, you know, why United took action, banning four journalists. I mean, did you get banned, Andy? Have you ever been banned? No, if I was if I was a United manager, I would ban you. <laughs> why? Them tracksuit bottoms you wore in Dublin. <laughs> and, and, and the socks Criminal, the, uh, the tracksuit bottoms were tucked into as well, yeah. I'd just, just be like, I'm sorry, can't take you seriously wearing them. I cannot answer you. When you're wearing up, when I've got evidence of you wearing those tracksuit <laughs> bottoms and socks, would you? Okay, would well, you buy me area? Could you see where I'm oh, coming from? Dreadful, yeah. <laughs> I don't wear them to press conferences. Listen, just because I've outed your cheese fetish early on, doesn't don't you come at me for the tracksuit bottoms? And by the way, listeners, I realised I said half time. It was before the game. Andy wasn't showing up that late, um, so my my mistake. Um, but no, I don't wear tracky bottoms to to press conferences, Andy. You know, I dress smartly. Um, and you can look at that situation with two ways. You know, United, you know, the, from their point of view, uh, point of principle, um, the journalists didn't check those stories about dressing room unrest and negative stories. So they felt that they should be able to provide context before they go to print. You know, I'm sure the journalists would say that United 
quite possibly would deny that there's any rift. So, you know, what's the point of checking it, you know, to try and stop them having a story. Um, but it did make that whole press conference much more dramatic. You know, you had a banner on Mail Online, for example, where it kind of pictured the journalists in question and, you know, the band United. And it kind of adds to this sense, as Carl referenced, the melodrama that United kind of generate more than any other club. Um, and so within that, Ten Hag has to kind of drive a, a kind of calm ship almost um, through these, you know, choppy waters, if I can kind of extend that slightly uh, bad analogy. Um, and I think he genuinely does believe he's got a good dressing room. I think he will ask his players. I don't think he'll ask them outright, but I think he'll sense, you know, in, in moments when he's had conversations with them, um, he feels that they're, they're still on side. Clearly, he responded to the Newcastle performance by um, changing the team so that he felt that he was going to get that kind of performance against Chelsea, you know, the pressing from the front, the togetherness. And it it was um, that kind of display that I think we became accustomed to last season when United were doing so well. Um, But clearly, you know, I also thought Scott McTominay's quotes afterwards were a little bit of a response to uh, those stories because there was a suggestion that training's too hard under Eric Ten Hag. And McTominay sort of said, well, yeah. we train lightly for this one, you know, to make sure we were fresh. And, and Tanag afterwards, to, to Carl's answer, it was beautiful actually in the press conference afterwards because, you know, I had my hand up for a question. Carl had his hand up for a question. You know, the athletic journey got divided. Cheese. Carl's got the. <laughs> I, I, yeah. and I don't know where Andy was. Where, what were you trying to find? Some, some chutney Crackers, or something? Probably. Some, some biscuits yeah. or. I went down to Mick Zone where no Manchester United players came oh. out at all because. Really? Even after that? Yeah, even after that, really. So then I, okay. I I arranged to meet Patrice Evra and just had a really nice chat with him because he was covering it for for the telly and I'd not, I'd not seen him for a bit. So that's that's where I was. What did Evra say about the game? Was it was he impressed with what he saw from United out of interest? Or were we just talking about Stilton and uh, Bree and you know things like that? <laughs> <laughs> he was impressed. Uh, he felt he mentioned the fans. He mentioned getting behind the um, the manager. Uh, something I'd felt pretty strongly about earlier on this week and I put a tweet out with my opinion that you, you need to get behind him and people are entitled to agree or disagree with that. But that's something that, that, that he felt. He knows it's a club where things are, have been very difficult. But I think he really, really enjoyed it. I think there's definitely an issue with the current players bristling with the criticism of some of the former players and... That's not going to go away because them former players are paid to to talk as they are. I think Patrice would see himself as being fairer. And I walked out the ground with him last night. I walked up the tunnel with him and I just stood with him talking. And the number of people who came up to him shows that there's a lot of love there for him. Even the Chelsea people were coming out and seeing him. I'm, and I'm saying to him, Bet they weren't like that when you were kicking off with the groundsman, <laughs> were they? Okay. <laughs> so I asked him a lot about Luke Shaw, uh, who I thought played well, it improves Manchester United, but that's just my layman's opinion. I might as well ask Patrice Ever, who's played in that position, about what he does te- technically and, and tactically. And he was adamant that he prefers him at left-back, not as a central defender, which I thought was quite interesting. And we just spoke about players throughout the pitch. And I remember Fergie saying, you need eight out of your 11 to play well to win a match. And I think we got that for the first time at Old Trafford mm-hmm. last night. It was a top game of football for a, for a neutral, but so was Galatasaray last week and Manchester United didn't win that. Last night would have been a travesty if the three points wouldn't have gone to the lads in red because the players who were picked are the players who were trusted by the manager. 
and they delivered on that. So it's been a tough week. You know, we touched on the stuff with with the media, with with journalists being banned. And I've got all sorts of conflicted feelings about that. I have fans coming to me saying, and I stood on the street last night and Carl, you come and stand with us as well. You know, we've got to stop the leaks. We've got to stop the leaks. What are you hearing, Andy? <laughs> oh, wh wh wait a minute. <laughs> so, wait well, a minute. Very much that. Very much that. <laughs> you, 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 you can't have it both ways. Yeah. <laughs> do, you want, do, you want, uh, do you want me to stop doing my job? <laughs> yeah. Hi, um, I know I've been speaking to you for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. I know we've built up a good relationship, a good trust, but... I'm going to have to stop speaking to you now because we've got to stop the leaks. <laughs> There's leaks at every single football club in the world. But fans see things slightly different to, to, to journalists as well. And the club have got their perspective, as, as Laurie said. Is that thing about checking stuff out? Um, I'm sure that Laurie checked his chicken piece out last <laughs> week. But I know, I know we're laughing about it, but I bet you did. I did. So earlier on in the year, and Laurie, Laurie knows this because he came back to me a month or two later. I got a tip off that a senior member of staff was leaving. It wasn't the Richard Arnold thing because I asked him to his face on that one. And I went to the club and said, I've, I've been tipped off that this person's going to leave. And the club said, fair enough, right? That may happen, that may not. I'm going to find out. And went to Eric Tenarg and went, well, it's news to me. And then went to the person and said, no, absolutely nothing in that. And the club came back to me and said, there's nothing in that. A little bit embarrassing, but all I've done is followed up on, on, a, on a tip. Yeah, that's what I've done. And two months later, which shows how connected Laurie is, he came up to me and went, yeah, I heard you asking about, about that. And <laughs> no one knows the name or needs to know the name, but I checked it out. And my source on it was actually really good. But ultimately, the source was wrong. So the club likes stuff to be checked out. It's not always that simple because... It just isn't always that simple because you know, the club um, are not going to bring to attention some of the less savoury things. But to be fair, if, if you put stuff to them, they usually give you a response. And I guess that type of story as well, Laurie, you know, it was um, dressing room unrest or players, you know, not getting on with Ten Hag or their opinion of Ten Hag not being what it was maybe last season. There will be some players, undoubtedly, in every single dressing room, in every single club, in every single league and country in the world who are unhappy with their manager. And it's usually the ones who aren't in the team as well, by the way. A bit like Andy, you know, so many people sort of message to say, oh, what are you hearing about these leaks? And then in the next breath, you know, this is terrible. United, you know, suffer with this all the time. And, and I... I I think everything with United is under such a microscope that the very fact that United are only three points behind City ju just seems absolutely crazy considering just a few matches ago, even before the Aston Villa game last night, City was still being praised. They were still being talked about as favourites for the title. And United, the narrative has been that they've been an absolute disaster. Now, I'm not going to sit here now and say that United have played well this season. Maybe Chelsea was the first time that they truly put a 90-minute performance together in the Premier League this year. But they are where they are. So they're going to have to get better at some point, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the reason why you've got the different narratives, obviously, because City have won the title three times and yeah, exactly, triple yeah. winners. And there, there will be people that are thinking that Ten Hag's methods aren't right for them or aren't right for Manchester United. You know, uh, too didactic uh, meetings that 
you know, go into uh, too much length over the same things, possibly. Um, you know, you've got Rafael Varane that's not being picked, for example. He wasn't even in the squad last night. Um, saw back is what United have said there. You know, Jaden Sancho's been exiled, clearly. You know, he's going to be a bit annoyed at Eric Tenag, no doubt. Um, he came out publicly and said so. So, and he might well have people that sort of have the same kind of opinion as him. But, you know, I'm sure there's players that don't like Pep Guardiola. Uh, there definitely is, there is, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and they're, and and they're winning things, and the difference is the results. But it, so having people that don't particularly like your management style isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, Tenag even referenced it when he said players out the team. You almost need that sometimes because you've got that kind of drive, that energy, that agitation, creative tension. I suppose you could call it. So just because you've got people that don't necessarily agree with Tenag's methods doesn't mean that you should then get rid of Tenag. Absolutely not. I think that's the worst thing you could do because it would just embolden players to think we can get a manager sacked. So I think that result was a and performance more importantly was a, a big sort of boost for Tenag just to again correct things and, and kind of make people believe that actually if you do stick with me we can you know provide success it's also worth looking at what those methods are so I think a lot of the confusion this season has been Eric Ten Hag saying something in a press conference and Manchester United doing something on the football field and before this game against Chelsea Ten Hag was asked about the man marking system in midfield and whether or not he wants to do it Ten Hag said no I don't I don't want to do man marking we, we do zonal we do a hybrid but more important than what we do in midfield is the fact that the front six press properly and push up properly. And Ten Hag made big changes. Antine Martial, who's never been a good presser when he could sprint and certainly isn't a very good presser since that hip injury he had in 2021, came out. Rasmus Hoyland comes in. Hoyland's young. He's hungry. He can lead a front press better than any other person at Manchester United. Marcus Rashford came out on the right wing. Antony's had his critics for many, 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 many different reasons. But one thing he is good at in this Manchester United team is he knows exactly where he should be standing and how to do his defensive duties. And Manchester United's first goal comes about because Anthony wins the ball very, very high up the field, pressuring that Chelsea attempt to build from the back. So the front six as a whole press way better due to the changes Eric Ten Hag made. So the, you can say, oh, Ten Hag's methods are turning off X amount of people. Well, the people that do want to pay attention and do listen to his methods just put together one of their best performances this season. So they'll probably be the starting lineup against Bournemouth, right? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they were unchanged, to be honest. I mean, Andy, it was Marcus Rashford being left out, which was the most eye-catching decision that Ten Hag made uh, last night. Is this, in your mind, a rotation for this particular fixture or is this going to be something that we might see for a more extended period, Marcus Rashford on the Manchester United bench? I think he lost his place because he's been playing poorly. It's tactical. It's that simple. I didn't hear any complaints that he didn't start the game last night. And maybe Marcus watching on the bench is thinking, actually, they're quite good without me. I might have to do better or whatever. Which is a good thing for everyone, it's, isn't it? It's if good that's the case. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because Marcus Rashford, when he's playing well, is one of the best players in the league. But he's not been playing well this season. But the lads who were chosen in his position, I thought Garnacho was a threat mm -hmm. all night. Sometimes his final ball needs improving. I thought he got better in the second half. He started the second half really well. He tried another overhead kick, which was extremely ambitious. <laughs> his cross from that the That might be my was fault superb. for talking to him about it extensively. Uh, in <laughs> yeah, the you interviewed him, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, yeah, go on. What was he like? Do you know, actually, really nice, very humble. Uh, uh, there seems to be a huge difference between 
him as a person and what people talk about him um, like when they have sort of personal um, personal dealings with him and actually what he's like when he's playing football. Um, I know, Andy, you've had sort of different character references for, for him in the past, but as a person and, and in a one-to-one situation like that, he was lovely, really nice, a very humble young lad. He had a good game and I think Anthony played very well in Turkey last week and I thought he was a threat and against um, Chelsea for Amrabat was probably had his best game for Manchester United. I thought Victor Lindelof had gone under the radar a little bit. I thought he played very well at Everton a couple of weeks ago. Um, Harry Maguire's playing playing really well. The number of blocks or interceptions Premier League that player he made of the month. was impressive. Harry Maguire, you mean? Yeah. yeah Give him his full he, title. He was. I mean, there were only three games during that month because of the international break, but three clean sheets for him. He's playing well and he's playing well week after week. And it's good to see. It was a buzz last night at Old Trafford. Really was. It was reminding me of Tottenham last year. Uh, although the performance wasn't as good as, uh, as against Tottenham, a night under lights, people turning up, knowing that there's a potential. Or even Liverpool at the start of last year might be a better example. Huge amount of pressure and pulling out a big result with a big performance from, from the chosen players. And Ten Hag, it's his way or, or the highway. He's gone with that team. And look at the number of players, world-class players, missing out of that team, even through injury or through being dropped. And he's got a result. Laurie? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to uh, sort of add into your uh, section on Garnacho that I know, for example, last, it talks about being humble, he's played with Ronaldo, he's played with Messi, and there was this story, wasn't there, about him, uh, you know, basically Messi had unfollowed him because he actually, I think, got a little bit hurt by that suggestion that he'd kind of gone in as this big I am at Argentina and said, oh, Ronaldo's the GOAT and, you know, you know, don't care what Messi thinks. I think he's actually a lot more, as, as you found, you know, in your sort of one-on-one interview with him, I think he's a bit more um, respectful than that. So He actually said that he's still got pictures of Ronaldo and Messi on the wall in his house, both of them. <laughs> he still lives with his mum and dad, despite being a father himself. It's a 19-year-old kid, like, you know, in a different country. I know what Andy's saying about his, his final third product. It's not always there, but that cross was absolutely brilliant, you know. And and that's what you do get, I suppose, from having inverted wingers. That's the idea, right? And and, and what Tenag spoke about afterwards actually was really interesting, again, to Carl's question, was getting McTominay in those positions more frequently. He's realised that Hoyland isn't, you know, he's not scored in the Premier League still. He had 19 touches last night. You know, it's, it's not a lot of, of action. I think he had four or five in the box. I know he had that shot early on, but he actually wasn't being found by his teammates really. And, and he was doing a lot of running off the ball and it really worked for the team cohesion, but he's not actually scoring in the Premier League. So Tenag looked at it and gone, well, McTominay is scoring. He's scoring for Scotland. What can we do at United to kind of get him in those kind of positions more frequently? And that was a brilliant example of that. And that and Garnacho cutting in and, and kind of being able to curl it in at the far post is one of those sort of ways of scoring that I think you could see repeated because McTominay's just going to have that time in at the far post. Um, but yeah, and Anthony as well. I mean, you said about pundits earlier, Andy, about you know um, sort of fe- feeling that you know Anthony clearly is one of those players that feels he's been you know burned by the pundits. I, I don't I don't agree with that. He hasn't performed anywhere near the level of what you'd expect from his price tag. Although, albeit that's not his fault, the, the price tag. Um, but I think we've seen in the last couple of weeks that he's responded well to being dropped by Ten Hag because he, he did, you know, he got taken out of the team. Everything that had happened uh, off the pitch was clearly impacting him. 
uh, and he seems to have actually now responded well to that and, and kind of cleared his mind. Yeah, okay. Well, if you want to indulge in that Chelsea result anymore, there's lots of great writing on The Athletic. As always, we've got a special offer on at the moment. You can treat someone to a one-year subscription to The Athletic at the discounted price of just 19 99 for the year. Sign up now at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, Andy, you teased it earlier. Um, Eric Ten Hag in conversation with Andy Mitten in United We Stand. How was he? Top. I had an hour with him and I approached it slightly differently to how I might do if it was at a press conference. I just wanted him to relax, to talk. United We Stand's a fanzine. I wanted to ask him about him being a fan. And he just started telling me these stories about being a kid. He reckons he's been a Man United fan since he's been five. I'm like, five? Five? He went, oh, really? bit, maybe six. So what was his earliest reference then? So he's a 20 fan because he's from close to there, but you're allowed a second team. And his second team was always Man United, but his best mate, Leo, was Liverpool. So he said they used to fight with Leo all the time about Man United and and Liverpool. I'm like, fight, yeah, fight. And then when he got the Manchester United job, Leo sent him a book about Liverpool. (laughs) And Eric just looked at me and went, I have not opened this book. <laughs> which, uh, <Lord. laughs> so there's there's loads of loads of stuff and he's he's it's funny if you get him like relaxing, he's like on my case about the stuff. And I saw that in the summer when I, I got a question wrong about him and he saw me the next day and went, Got any more good questions <laughs> for me? <laughs> Just thought, it's a side that you don't always see of him because he is a serious man. He is a football obsessive. I'm like, what do you do in your spare time? Yeah, I know how to relax. You know, I'm always planning. Right? So you plan football matches in your spare time. No wonder you two had a lot in common, Andy. This is it. You look at maps in your spare time. I don't do. <laughs> oh, football stadiums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, planning oh, oh, for the mate. next trip. There's, 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 there's parts of the chat are just, just weird talking about non-league stuff and you know and telling me about yeah. which. I can see you two getting on. Which, which non-league derbies <laughs> to go to in Holland and stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, yeah, he's good. I enjoyed it, and it's great that he did it for United. We stand. He did it under a time when there was under a lot of pressure. And yesterday, I was reminded on one of those on this day things. Seven years since I did similar with Jose Mourinho, 
And when I spoke to Jose Mourinho in December 16, the circumstances were quite similar. United had won three out of 11, was really struggling. And I just remember Mourinho unloading onto me. I could have said to him, what day is it today? He just ignored the question. He just got yeah. everything off his mind. And that season turned out all right. United won three trophies that season. But when we did the interview, so as Carl said to me, you're telling me there's a chance here with Manchester United. <laughs> and we're very, I like him. I like him as a person, you know, and I think he's really doing his best in difficult circumstances. He needs help. It's it's really, really difficult, that job. You could bring in Pep Guardiola tomorrow and it would be difficult and he needs support. And it's more complicated He's not getting it in now. January though, is he? No, no, he told me he's probably not going to buy anyone. He's not going to buy it. Yeah, because they've done all the doing. But that can change if there's an injury, but, you know, a loan signing. I did ask him, I said, like, everyone you signed, did they, did they have to have played in Holland? <laughs> did you? I saw that and he corrected your pronunciation. Yeah. What, what, what was the two pronunciations of uh, Eredivisie? First of all, he says, you, you, you're saying it totally wrong. <laughs> Eredivisie. Really? You? Mispronouncing a name? <laughs> no. And then he's like, um, oh yeah? Has Casimiro played in Holland? <laughs> oh, no, but what about the others? He could, come on, he said, people tell me that Mason Mount played in Holland. He was a kid on loan at Vitesse Arnhem. So he fights his corner, and I quite like that about him. He's dedicated. I sense in the last few months of Jose Mourinho that he knew he was going, and I don't sense that with very. I think he's got a very clear plan. There's one bit where he says, you might see clouds, I can see sunshine through those clouds, but it's going to take time. So I'm saying, well, do you want patience? No, I don't. I don't want any excuses. He needed that win last night, but it was a big 4,000-word interview and the aggregators take the bits about the transfers and stuff like that, but there's so much more to it than that. And thanks to everyone who bought it and, and supported the mag outside the ground. It's not easy doing a printed publication in 2023, but there's a lot of love there for it and I really appreciated him uh, talking to us. Yeah, it's a brilliant interview um, and it sounds like it's going to be a very interesting read as well from the bits that you've put in the fanzine. Andy, I'm going to let you go because I know you're a busy man today, but thank you for being with us as always. Cheers, lads. Take care, yeah, mate. mate. Can you imagine, Larry, those two sat there chewing the fat? Well, yeah, I, when um, Carl mentioned about maps, it just uh, flickered into my mind, that train from uh, <laughs> Belfast to Dublin <laughs> that we went on for the tours, the live show tours, and Andy's there with this huge, I don't know what size map it is, but he's, you know, his arms are spread wide open. It's like an ordinary survey it. map, wasn't it? Like, yeah. it just kept folding out. the size out. of the entire <laughs> train table, and he's just got <laughs> it out. It's a map of Ireland, on it? And he's just looking at it, and then all of a sudden, we go past Windsor Park, right? And he's just there like, and how excited he was his face was a picture of joy he's got a map in his hand he's seen a football stadium go past you know just that was heaven for him so them two in conversation and there's a really good line at the end of that interview where Andy's trying to get him to go on the monkey bus uh, back if they win a trophy at the end of the season or maybe win a title I think it might be and Ten Hag sort of like, mm, that's, that's dangerous and Andy's like why? And he's like because we'll do it so you've got that slight, you've got that one liner maybe and, you know, he's obviously got the confidence, but I thought it was a really interesting interview um, that Andy did and, you know, credit to Ten Hag for doing it in the circumstances because you could easily just say, nah, actually, you know, I'm under a bit of pressure, actually, it's not the right time. So, um, but I suppose maybe he knew that with Andy he was going to get some nice chats about football attendances and, um, you know, a trip down memory lane, a bit of history. Yeah, and non-league clubs in the Netherlands, Carl, which... Uh... Obviously, they talked about that. I mean, I'm taking notes. A little tourism trip for me next year. Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's preview Bournemouth then. On paper, Carl, 
Bournemouth have never won at Manchester United. Manchester United, again, are one of the most informed teams in the Premier League, getting back to winning ways against Chelsea. But Bournemouth are pretty good at the minute as well, aren't they? They seem to have, have finally hit their rhythm uh, under Andoni Iraola. How tricky do you see this match being? This one's going to be interesting. So um, Bournemouth are warming up, like you say. Uh, and uh, my, I'm going to try and pronounce his name. I'm sorry if I've got it wrong. Iriola. It's a difficult one, isn't it? I'm glad you yep. two are saying it. Can I just skirt past that? Andoni, you can call him, Larry. Yeah, Andoni, there we go. Yeah. They've got a really interesting off-the-ball shape. They've got this sort of lopsided 4-4-2 when they're out of possession and they really try and hammer you down. Uh, they hammered Aston Villa down the right-hand side. And you know, We talk about how good Villa were against Man City. Villa found Bournemouth tricky. One thing that was good against Chelsea that I want Ten Hag to repeat against Bournemouth is when is the press, so you know, keep your front, same front three from Chelsea. But also the fullbacks jumped up, and this has been a big difference between good performances and, and great performances for United under Ten Hag, is do the fullbacks join the press along with everyone else? And there were two or three moments against Chelsea where you saw Dallow get up, um, and Shaw tried to get up in the first half. Things got a lot better when Reguillon came on, and, and I know Andy gave Victor Lindelof his flowers, but I thought... That was probably the best I've seen Reguillon in a Manchester United shirt. Not saying he sh- that loan deal should be made permanent, but if you're Malasia, if you're Alvaro Fernandez, I'm sure when you get back into Carrington, Ten Hag's probably going to go, I need you to do this a lot more. And that was a brave half-time substitution as well. You know, talk about the, it was. the, the yeah. starting lineup. That was then a proactive substitution from him. So considering that really lopsided 4-4-2 Bournemouth did, I'm not entirely sure about the health of Aaron Wambasak. He might still be suffering from illness, but there might there could be a change there at right back again. But uh, yeah, hopefully this could be another create loads of chances. Don't quite score. Scott McTominay pops up. 1-0 win. Harry Maguire plays well again. Uh, just to indulge on Iraola a little bit longer, um, the only thing that's more hard to pronounce than his surname is actually where he comes from in Spain. It's the smallest province in the country. Gipuzkoa. Uh, that I've probably just murdered the um, pronunciation of that, but it, it felt good saying it. Um, actually home, incredibly, to the Premier League leading boss, Mikel Arteta, the Bundesliga leading boss, Chabi Alonso, plus Unai Emery, who's doing all right at Aston Villa, plus Iraola and Julian Lopetegui as well. I mean, talk about places punching above their weight, Laurie. Incredible. Incredible. I, I hear that Padel is very big in Jiputhkoa as well, actually. Um <laughs> And just just to let listeners in on on something, I actually then went away after the last podcast and tried to Google how you how you pronounce Padel just to see if I was right. And it's it's Paddle. Yeah, I, can't, I, I did have it wrong. But then I also asked someone who is involved in the organisation of the world tour of the sport, and he said that even in their marketing campaign beforehand, uh, somebody pronounced it Padel uh, and and then had to be corrected and, and they had to change the whole marketing scheme. So yeah, are they uh, from this Stockport is the sat- as well? Illusions of grandeur. <laughs> This is the kind of sad stuff I do. Um, but yeah, Chiputhka, back to the point. Um, yeah. Andy said it's like the size of Trafford. So wow. it's not even just like saying someone's, you know, a load of good managers are from Manchester. It's a you know, specific part of it. Um, yeah, incredible, really. And and he, he, he came in, didn't he? It feels a little bit like when Pochettino replaced Nigel Atkins at, at um, Southampton in that, you know, Gary O'Neill had done a really good job. Why are you sacking him or why are you getting rid of him? Uh, and then bringing in this guy that we don't know much about. And he had a, a tough start, didn't he? It felt like he was, you know, wasn't getting the right performances, and perhaps the Premier League wasn't, um, he wasn't equipped for the Premier League. But gradually, you can see now what he's trying to produce, and and they are a good team. Um, 
you know, with, with Solanke up front, I think he's a really, really smart striker. He's got, you know, nice sort of control and turns. He can, he can strike it without much bat lift. Um, Tavernier, he, he gets, gets a goal every now and again. He's, he's one to watch out for. So, yeah, he seems like he's in a good groove at the moment. So it won't be an easy game. No, four games unbeaten, Carl. Three of them wins. Um, and, you know, it's not against, like, the whipping boys. I mean, they have beaten Sheffield United in that run, I suppose. But... A draw against Aston Villa, you know, a two-nil win over Newcastle. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough test, actually, isn't it? A lot a lot tougher than I think a lot of Manchester United fans um, would think on paper. I guess I, th- I find it quite funny that we're talking Bournemouth just after Andy Minton's left as a sort of he's talking talk about Bournemouth. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the ground is far too compact with the surrounding houses. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it will be tough. And as Laurie said, after the Chelsea game, I, I managed to get three questions out of Ten Hag. And one thing I was really interested in is is the way he's using Scott McTominay because, well, it seems now that McTominay's an attacking player. He's, he's not a piano carrier, he's a piano player. Ten Hag said McTominay has good, he smells goals in the penalty area. He's got good movement. And he used the word smell twice because I think it was very much Carl media make sure this is the headline uh, mind control <laughs> yeah he doesn't often repeat the phrase twice which I thought was interesting um, and one thing I did ask him I said well after we had the Galatasaray game after we had the Newcastle game I was droning on about McTominay abandoning his post and leaving so much space in central midfield so I said how do you balance this new attacking role for McTominay without making sure you're exploited in central midfield. And Ten Hag said, well, it's, it's a question of how the team work, right? The team now knows that the McTominay's main job is getting into the penalty area, is making those late arrivals. So they now need to, to work together to cover that space for McTominay so McTominay can then repay them with goals. So that will be another big thing for Bournemouth because I'm sure Ureola is going to be looking at that space and going, what can I do? One thing I also say is Amrabat, Ahmed Bat did look better against Chelsea. He said he was well. He said you know, it's it's taken a while because he you know he didn't really have a preseason and he was carrying an injury, but now he feels like he can he can perform better and show Manchester United what he's like. So I'm confident about this one, more confident than I was before playing Chelsea. But it's not going to be easy. You need to have your wits about you. Yeah, five goals now for Scott McTominay, Laurie. I mean, how ridiculous is it that he seems to be our our biggest goal threat, and he he is the United top goal scorer in the Premier League this season. McTominay's um, goals per minute is actually pretty good. Um, it's 0.57 goals per 90, uh, which is you know comparable to some decent you know forwards in the Premier League this season. Um, maybe Bruno should have given him the penalty instead of uh, taking it himself. <laughs> yeah, we've not talked about the penalty actually, have we? Um, what, what do we think, Carl? I mean, Bruno Fernandes has taken, what, 31 penalties, I think it is now, for Manchester United. He's now missed four, so it's still pretty good. Um but if we get a penalty against Bournemouth, do you see Bruno just being the clear taker still? No no debate around that? I hope so. Part of me did also go, could you not give it to Hoyland? Help him break his duck? You want Rashford as well? I'm not sure. I have no idea. It's Christmas time, giving gifts, it, Bruno. It is, it I suppose is. at nil-nil in that game, yeah. it's quite a high-pressured penalty. I mean, it even got to Bruno potentially with missing it. Yeah, I'm talking at my neck, aren't I? Um, no, 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 it's an interesting point. <laughs> Sanchez just waited for him, didn't he? He, he? he knew that it was going to be one of those pens where he sensed it was going to be one of those pens where he hops and didn't move, and then he, you know, wasn't in the corner. But I do, you do wonder if if Rashford's not on the pitch again, 
Bruno takes it, doesn't he? Bruno would want to respond to it. But the Hoyland thing, you, you wonder at what point do, do, do the team ch- try and just get, get him a goal just to get, get that duck off? Again, I've said it before in this podcast, I do find it interesting how Fernandes isn't finding him with the frequency you'd expect uh, someone like Fernandes to find a striker. I think most the majority of the through balls that were directed towards Hoyland came from Luke Shaw. And I'm going, hmm, this is, this is curious to me. Garnacho kept trying to find... Hoyland as well, but I think because Fernandez is playing in this really advanced role, he's almost stepping on Hoyland's toes in two or three moments. So that'll take some time to sort out. Yeah, only the second uh, goalkeeper in Premier League history, Rob Sanchez, to save a Bruno Fernandez penalty in the Premier League. Um, do you want to guess the other one? Was it, it the Newcastle one? He got saved, but then he took it again. Then he was that Carl Darlow. Yeah, Carl Darlow is the only other. Well remembered. Come on. Well so did that actually stand though? I thought that then was like ruled. No, Carl Darlow's the other goalkeeper. Yeah, Sanchez and Darlow are the two. Oh, uh, come on! What do I get for that? Um, a bit of credit, maybe. Um, okay, thanks. some cheese from Andy. Yeah. <laughs> ADR producer actually said that Jorginho was said in a recent interview that he doesn't do that little um, that little skip. He said that on the Athletic Football podcast. He thinks that keepers have actually worked it out. Bruno Fernandes doesn't always do it, Carl, either, does he? That No, he doesn't. Sometimes he goes for just a sprint and a smash it in the top corner, which I think helps. I think Bruno was a better practitioner of the hop, skip and jump than Jorginho because Bruno tends to hit the ball with a lot more pace than Jorginho did when he used that method. But again, Chelsea didn't didn't come off. Yeah, for, for now to the rest of the season, it should be Bruno 1 for penalties but if he does want to give it to someone else if Rashford's on the field we've seen him do it before and maybe maybe I should need to do my homework and check out if Hoyland can take penalties so so I can come up with a definitive answer for next week okay well we'll let you go and work that out Carl because that's it for Talk of the Devils for this episode but brilliant to have you all with us as always nice to have a Lovely, positive podcast uh, to reflect on Manchester United's win as well. I mean, we all got giddy at the start. There was huge smiles on our faces. We were talking cheese. We were talking all sorts of wonderful things. So I enjoyed it anyway. Laurie and Carl, thank you for your company. Thanks for listening at home. Thank you to Andy as well. And we'll see you on the next one. After Bournemouth, whatever happens. See you then. Bye-bye. The Athletic.